Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. As always, fantastic to have you listening along. So thank you so much. My next guest, Cara Devine, is the bar manager of Bomba, which is a rooftop bar and late night tapas bar in Lonsdale Street in Melbourne. And it's proudly one of the best in Melbourne. Amazingly, the bar also brings in its own spirits and wines from Spain, which I want to hear about today. I'm really excited about that. Uh, she's also the co-creator of Behind the Bar with Cara Devine, um, an amazing YouTube show that has uh, new episodes dropping every Tuesday, showing you how to make the best alcoholic beverages with a lot uh, a lot of friendly information. I've checked it out the last couple of weeks and have been um, very, very impressed. Um, Cara, thank, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks very much for having me. And yeah, thank you for the kind words. That was a, a lovely introduction. No problem. I've been working more on my introductions lately, so um, <laughs> appreciate the positive feedback. I'm slightly um, concerned now. I feel like it's, you know, the only way is down. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Um, let's talk about let's talk about how you started out in the industry. Obviously, Bomber is um, is an amazing bar that um, is hopefully about to reopen um, pretty soon as we yeah. take this at the end of October. So let's talk about how you started out in the industry. Yeah, um, I actually worked in, in hospitality since I was around 16. So yeah, whenever I, I could get my first job, I think my choices were really being a waitress in, in the sort of local bar and restaurant or working in the supermarket. And my um, logic went that waitresses get tips. So that's, uh, let's do that, considering I was only on, you know, four pounds an hour or whatever the minimum wage for a 16 year old in Scotland is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, started there and, and always kind of enjoyed it, but I guess didn't take it too seriously. Um, and then I went to university and, and worked the whole way through that. Um, and it was really once I took a gap year, I went over to Canada, um, to Vancouver. Nice. And wandered into, yeah, it's um, an, an awesome city. Uh, and I wandered into kind of, I guess, you know, the equivalent of Eau de Vie or the Everly or, you know, just really high end cocktail bar sort of handing in my CV, not really having a clue what it was they did there. Um, and I managed to get a job as a hostess. Uh, and the bartenders were just, yeah, I guess the first people that I'd really seen um, doing really high end bartending and, and all the kind of you know, proper classics and, and it was back in the day with the, you know, the arm garters and the um, the little braces and all that kind of thing. And I was pretty blown away by it. And it's like, maybe that's what I want to do when I grow up. Um, and they were awesome. They were really patient. I just used to sit at the bar and have a knockoff every night and sort of started from not having a clue what any cocktails were to only drinking Negronis and Boulevardiers and things, which must have been quite a fun, uh, you know, little journey for them to have taken my palate on. Uh, and so when I went back to Glasgow, I looked for, for somewhere that was doing something pretty similar, ended up working at a five-star hotel um, with, a, with a really good cocktail program. And then, yeah, kind of, you know, still, still a bit young and had a bit of itchy feet, so decided to head over to Melbourne, um, but really did choose Melbourne over anywhere else because of the am amazing hospitality scene here. Um, so obviously, you know, did the working holiday visa for the first few years, which uh, does have that little six month um, requirement on it. You can only work anywhere for six months at a time. Um, so it makes you, yeah, you feel a little bit, it was the most I'd ever bounced around jobs in my life. Um, and towards the end of it, I kind of started to have a bit of a feeling of maybe maybe not necessarily being quite ready to, to head home. Um, and uh, my friend was working at Bomba and was sort of saying that they'd sponsored people before, which did lead to a bit of a funny conversation on my trial shift where, you know, I had to say to the owner that I was looking for sponsorship and he's kind of like, 
well, you know, seeing as we just met tonight, let's, uh, let's maybe see how things go. <laughs> but lucky, uh, luckily enough, um, they, they decided to go for it. And, and here I am, yeah, I guess three and a half, four years later. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously sponsorship can, can be a bit of a, a burden for some people, but um, I've really genuinely been, been really lucky because it's such a diverse um, company. As you say, obviously there's the restaurant and the rooftop bar and, you know, amazing wine and sherry and just lots to learn. Um, so definitely haven't felt stagnant, which I think can be a, a bit of an issue. Um, yeah. So did you uh, kind of how I got here. So I've been in Melbourne about um, five or six years. Um, feels like a lot longer, but I've also lived in Vancouver. Did you, uh, one of the things I love about Vancouver, because I lived in Vancouver before, obviously I lived in Melbourne, yeah. is there are so many similarities between the two cities. Did, yeah, you, did you find that too in the bar scene and that kind of stuff? Absolutely. And I think obviously they're, they're both always winning, you know, sort of most of both city and things like that. But I definitely believe it. Um, the, the bar and hospitality scene is is great. Um, you know, the beer scene, craft beer as well was kind of, the first, Vancouver was the first place that I came across that. Um, and also just the green space, you know, that's yeah. something that I love about Melbourne and which is obviously coming in really handy now that we're only allowed to socialise outdoors is that, you know, you can't really walk more than a few blocks before hitting a park. Um, yeah. Vancouver is a little bit like that as well and has the big whole seawall area right in the downtown, um, mm. which is gorgeous. And yeah, I definitely have. I've not actually been back since I lived there, but I would love to. Yeah, me too. Um I read an article yesterday in the age just about the small bar scene and obviously there's concerns about, you know, how it's going to get through this time because, you know, the fact is they're small. Yeah. You know? Um what what are your sort of thoughts and, you know, the guys of Bombers thoughts at the moment, like how you guys can actually safely, quote unquote safely sort of reopen and and serve guests as you were before? Like how are you going about doing that? I mean, I I think that, um, you know, you hit the, the nail on the head there. I guess the thing with Bombas, it maybe doesn't quite qualify as as a, you know, quote unquote small bar mm -hmm. in that we do have the restaurant downstairs so we can, um, to use that awful word, pivot uh, in the rooftop and start doing full sit down um, menus. And that's really the only way that we can sort of guarantee the, the spend per head and things. What I think is really sad and what I'm, I'm worried about is that whole the Melbourne culture of being able to just pop in somewhere for a glass of wine and a snack um, yeah. might be quite difficult for a while. And, and, you know, I completely understand it and not saying that I, I'm not happy to commit to sort of, you know, spending a fair amount and whatever um, in order to support people. But I, th I think we do just probably have to be prepared for that, that everything's going to be a little bit more regimented. Um, you're going to have to book, you're going to have to, you know, say that you'll do a set menu um, I think one thing that hopefully will be good is, is if, you know, again, depending quite uh, how it all translates once it filters through the, the council and things like that. But if we do manage to get these kind of outside dining areas, um, then that hopefully will give uh, smaller bars just that little bit extra space to, to play with where, for instance, you could, you know, have a more serious offering inside, but allow people to, to sit and have um, something a little bit more casual outside and, and hopefully sort of be able to, to keep that um, you know, just that really nice, uh, like experience of Melbourne dining, um, mm -hmm. going, but it's, yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough, a tough few months. And I think if 2020 has taught me anything, I'm not trying to predict anything anymore. <laughs> just <laughs> just going to roll with the punches for a little while, I think, and, and do what we can. Yeah. Do you, do you, have you guys thought about, obviously you would have thought about like how, 
how are you going to create that experience for guests? Because the one thing I remember I've said it on other previous podcasts is going to a place when I first, when I first started to come to Melbourne, uh, first started to live in Melbourne, the one, one of the bars I went to a lot was bad Frankie in Fitzroy. Right. Because I felt so connected and I'd walk in and have a conversation with whoever was on shift. And I felt like it didn't really matter who was on shift. It was always going to be a really positive experience and connection and talking about different, um, different booze and like how that's going to relate to a cocktail and that kind of stuff. Like, are you, are you concerned about how you're going to do that through a mask at 1.5 meters and not have that maybe as connection as what you had before? Um, I mean, yeah, it is difficult. I've actually been working in, um, we own a, a bottle shop in, in Northgate and it's quite mm-hmm. hard not having those uh, visual cues that you yeah. usually rely on. You know, you're suggesting a, a wine to someone and you just can't tell if they are hating it or loving it if you're, you know, on the right track. And I definitely, I think that that's going to be a difficult thing. But, you know, I also, I think that um, most of the hospitality professionals that I know are, are definitely equal to the challenge. Yeah. Um, and I think it will really be a matter of communication and making sure that, you know, we don't just get annoyed at guests for maybe not quite, you know, we we obviously pour over every regulation. It makes such a difference to us that we know it inside and out. Um, but your average person on the street isn't maybe going to necessarily know that they're not allowed to run over and speak to their friend. And, you know, so I think there'll be quite a lot of that uh, firm but fair sort of communication, which is, yeah. you know, we know that you're not you're not um, trying to kind of flout the rules, but these are the rules and we're here to make sure that you're safe and you know, I guess if, again, if anyone's going to be able to do it, then it's us having dealt with drunk people in a firm but fair manner for <laughs> however long. We might just be having to start a little bit earlier in the evening this time. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. The, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of all these situations in which a hospitality professional needs to go up to someone and say, can you not hug that person? Please. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is quite frowned upon at the moment. So. <laughs> so, how is your YouTube show going? Like, how did you start that out? Like, what actually happened there? Like, because it's such a it's such a great platform. Yeah, um, and and again, it's it's definitely something that I consider myself really uh really lucky to have kind of fallen into. Um, I actually have a couple of business partners in it. So one of them is Jesse, who's one of the owners of Bomba, um, and he's basically the linchpin. Uh, his friend Josh, who um is a really awesome filmmaker, had been sort of dabbling in the YouTube realm for a little while um and thought about a and and just thought that alcohol basically and you know cocktails and booze culture and things was definitely a a good um you know something that would get a a good bit of traction um and was speaking to jesse about it and jesse put my name forward josh and i met a few times and and sort of figured that we had pretty similar aims um and so we decided to go ahead with it um and yeah so it's pretty much divided into i guess i'm the the sort of booze expertise and write all the scripts and the presenter and then he does um essentially all of the back of house side of things uh in terms of you know your well we do have an editor but yeah kind of just actually pulling all the filming um so on set he is you know pro- pro- uh producer director yep. filmer sound guy you know just running around doing everything and all I have to do is you know spawn around and make a cocktail every now and again so um <laughs> So yeah, it definitely uh, was a was a very fortuitous um, introduction. How did um, like had you done any presenting before or anything on to video? Um, not really in particular. I did um, my degree was actually a law degree, so there was a lot of you know standing in front of the room and making your case. Uh, so I've never really been 
um, too worried about public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's honestly, it's it's easier, I think, than, you know, a lot of people are scared of the camera, but I'd much rather do it to the camera rather than an actual room of people, really. Because <laughs> at least then you can't see if your joke doesn't land or whatever, <laughs> you know, that's further down the track and you don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah. And yeah, and again, obviously, uh, Josh is, is a very experienced filmmaker and so kind of, you know, definitely didn't didn't make it seem kind of overwhelming or scary. Um, you know, my first few, it's funny now seeing the, the screen tests and things and, and the first few episodes, I was there was definitely a little bit less of a flow, um, but you get used to it quite quickly. Have you, have you got a favourite episode that you've done? Uh, I mean, I still really like the Martini episodes um, just because that was, you know, we really, really kind of got into it. And um, I like the ones where I've had people on to, to chat as well. My friend, Sasha, um, who uh, is, is a really awesome kind of sommelier and, and wine person. Um, we talked about vermouth and that was fun because it's obviously not something that people necessarily have heaps of knowledge on. Um, mm. Trish, you know, the inimitable Trish Brew on to talk about gin. Um, and then my, my partner's in whiskey. So uh, yeah, Fred came on to talk about American whiskey and things. And I think that's nice because you have someone to, to bounce off and not yeah. get sick of the sound of your own voice by the end of the filming day. And also I can blame it on them if someone, you know. Like um, how do you guys... Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was going to totally agree with you. You can always blame it. Um, yeah, agree. when you get the pedants, I'm like, oh, I, I don't think it was me that said that. I think it was... Uh... <laughs> down to you um uh, i was gonna ask like how do you come up with sort of new ideas and uh and that kind of stuff that you think are gonna land yeah there's kind of two ways of doing it 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 is quite funny because again obviously there's you know josh and i so i i probably want to get a little bit more geeky and a little bit more Mm -hmm. sort of um cocktail focused and he's maybe got a bit more of an eye on the popular uh you know what other videos are doing well on youtube and, and things like that but it works out quite well because I think even then when we do do something that's maybe a little bit cheesy, um, you know, we can have a bit of a tongue in cheek about it and, and sort of or discuss how to how to make an actually good version of, you know, a, a much maligned drink, um, which which is, you know, probably more challenging than just showing someone how to make another old fashioned or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's kind of so you either, I think, have a bit of an eye on something like vermouth. Um, there's only going to be so much content up there. So if somebody does want to learn about it, then you're going to be sort of top of the pile for them to look at. Um, so that can definitely work. A few few of our more niche videos um, are actually really good performers. Uh, and then obviously, yeah, you've just got, you know, anything on whiskey at the moment. Everyone's kind of obviously, yeah, whis- whiskey's having a bit of a moment. <laughs> um, so, you know, that blows up or uh if, yeah again things that are a little bit more um you know the moscow mule the long island iced tea like just stuff that that everyone knows and loves um that's obviously always gonna gonna be fairly solid as well how do you it's a really good point you just brought up about whiskey like how how do these liquors have a moment because like so when i was i'm nearly 40 right so when when I was in my early twenties, like vodka was having a moment, right? Like vodka had a long moment, like years. And then, yeah. and then it was. Um, it instrument of everything else. Really. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and now, and now it definitely feels, obviously you said whiskey, but you know, gin is definitely having a moment as well. Um, like how does that sort of trend happen? Do you think like, it's just, is it distilleries doing really cool different liquors and then, 
like bartenders <laughs> making really good cocktails and those going on Instagram and then becoming popular as a whole? Like how does it? I, sort of yeah, I mean, honestly, I just feel like there's a bit of a bit of boom and bust in it because you can't really, you know, especially Scottish. Obviously, it's you know awesome seeing the um the Australian distilling mm. in, industry kind of reinvigorate itself and really take off. But definitely in Scotland, they've just been plodding along, doing what they've been doing since you know the 15th century or whatever. Really, <laughs> maybe slightly refined at this point, but um, yeah, yeah it definitely doesn't feel like. And obviously, obviously, you do get big. Uh, companies sort of deciding to put marketing budget into into certain spirits and I'm sure that that sways um, one way or the other Um, but yeah with whiskey I I, honestly I I do find this really interesting I'm not too sure what kind of swung it because you know my grandpa was a whiskey drinker but even then it was blended scotch and my dad doesn't touch the stuff my mom doesn't touch the stuff and then it's kind Mm -hmm. of you know this generation is Mm -hmm. swinging back around to it pretty massively and and so I wonder if it is just that cycle of trend you know yeah. My mom was sending over photos this morning of her in the 80s with her shoulder pads and whatever. And my little sister's like, that's so cool. Do you still have that outfit? You know, and oh, mom's wow. like, well, no, because it was really not cool for quite a while. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's just the cyclical nature of trends to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, it, they're good products. Like when you do come back to them and you're like, this is actually really delicious, then, you know, it's it's not a fad. It's um yeah. as much as it might be kind of a trend that, gets it in your glass to begin with there's definitely mm-hmm. a reason to to uh stay with it yeah is it is it hard as a bartender to um stay sort of connected to different suppliers who sort of come through like the new the new range of suppliers that um that come through with it changing changing so much or is it you sort of can just keep close to it by being in the industry and you know pouring so many drinks is it pretty easy yeah i mean um yes I think that it it is easy because obviously you get a lot of people coming through and showing you new stuff all the time um but also you obviously have your certain sort of reps and suppliers that you have a closer relationship with than others um and so you know every now and again there will be a product that sort of pops up that I'm like wait where did that come from I've never you know I've never seen that and it's obviously just not in a portfolio that I've come across Mm um I mean definitely yeah in in Australia it was with gin and whiskey the amount of distilleries and producers that are popping up it's it's pretty much impossible um to to keep an eye on it but I think you do have to you know you have to put a bit of time and effort in we I don't even know how many whiskey um tastings we've done in lockdown now our our spare room is basically just a sea of miniature bottles at this point um and that's you know just trying to kind of keep your keep your hand in and not miss any of the the new stuff or interesting things that are happening um and that's as you say where where bars come in places like bad frankie you know whiskey and ailment whatever you walk in there's always something new and interesting that they've managed to find that that nobody else would have found and and are excited to show you um and i think you know that's one of the the many reasons that i i don't think bars will ever disappear as much as you can make drinks at home you can't you know create that same experience of of finding something new every time you walk through the door yeah 100 percent. the um what we've seen sort of talk about craft beer for a second like obviously craft beers you know um really really changed the beer scene in the last sort of 10 or 15 years and what you sort of seen what what i'm sort of seeing in craft what are these breweries have been bought up by bigger players and then becoming, you know, part of this sort of, you know, um, big program of, of what the big players have. 
and I think a lot of the creativity is lost when when that happens. And I think that's happening. That's it's still creativity still happening definitely in craft beer, but I think it will come off for the next couple of years as they get bought out. Like, do you, I'm thinking that spirits are really in that small provador kind of place still mostly. Like, do you think? the same might happen in liquor? Like, do you think the bigger conglomerates will buy the smaller liquor brands and that may stop some creativity? Look, I think, I think potentially, I think it's, it's sort of the, you know, the hipster paradox, isn't it? Where mm. you have your favorite craft beer and, and you want to buy it, but you don't, you know, you want to, them to stay at the same size and not yeah. to, you know, only you and your friends know about it. And realistically, if anyone starts a company, that's not their aim. Their aim is usually to make at least a little bit of money out of it at some point. Um, you know, so I, I think you can't really uh, fault anyone for, I, I think that if you're a good creator, then what you would do would be sort of to start a brand, to bring it to a certain point, to then allow someone else to take it on when it reaches a mainstream popularity and then start something else, you know, and, yeah. and just keep doing that and, and keep keep it fun and, and fresh. And if that does happen, then we'll just have a constant cycle of, of awesome people making awesome things. Um, I think, honestly, what will happen yeah. more, especially in, in whiskey, um, is I think it, it's the prices that I think will be interesting because obviously the Australian whiskey is commanding such high prices at the moment because um, really production levels are so low and, and so they're really, you know, sought after and hard to find um, and I do think that most distilleries are working towards scaling up at least in some ex to some extent um, and I think at that point they'll have to maybe think a little bit more about their actual brand and where they're positioned in the market and the public perception of it rather than just being able to rely on selling out every single time they release something because there's only a hundred bottles or whatever yeah, good. Um, so I think you know, almost in, in that sense, there might, it might make sense to have a little bit of the marketing acumen of, of larger companies. Like I think, you know, the Diageo and Starward um, sort of uh, deal was obviously, I think massively made sense for Starward because Diageo puts money in, but doesn't have any real creative say over it. It's just, they're basically supporting, but then you would assume that they would get a, a bit of access to the the kind of marketing juggernaut that is um, Diageo and, and, yeah. Yeah, so I think we'll probably see a, a little bit more of that sort of thing happening. Um, but yeah, I hope I hope the soul doesn't get lost from from the industry. Yeah. Um, and and I think yeah, knowing a lot of the people involved in the industry, I don't think it will. I think they'll they'll guard it with their lives. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like when your favorite brand uh, band gets gets you know their first big big song and then exactly. you, like you're really happy for him but you don't really want them to do it because then everyone finds out about them and you know yeah. their third yeah. album's never as good as their second or their first you know so it's um yeah it's quite funny <laughs> and yeah uh, I, don't, I don't really know you know yeah success is a, a double-edged sword i suppose always a double-edged sword um cara do you think with this challenging time we're now in like do you think friction that um that COVID has actually brought do you think that's going to play any positive moving forward for the bar scene in in melbourne or around around the world i mean you have to hope so um i think yeah to to think that it's it's only ever going to be doing gloom from here would be pretty depressing um i do think that i i hope that it's made people understand um 
what it is that that bars bring um, you know bars and restaurants and and those kind of general social gathering points bring to their lives mm. um as much as you can mix yourself a cocktail at home or you know i think um my partner's sister put it really well because she you know ordered a few quite fancy um takeaway options and and as much as they were delicious she's like i still had to do the dishes at the end of the night you yeah. know <laughs> and yeah. it's uh it's that it's that level of of a curated experience where somebody else has picked the wines they've made the food they're going to clean up after you they, they choose the music they sort of guide you through the whole um experience that you're having that evening and and you just get to be along for the ride um I really miss that you know even yeah always having to decide what wine we're going to have with dinner rather than just getting somebody else to choose it for you um so yeah I think hopefully that'll make people uh kind of realize that and, and obviously we've seen a massive um surge towards supporting local and mm-hmm. and all of that which hopefully will continue um and I also think from hospitality's point of view you know we can probably get a little bit of ego sometimes especially being in Melbourne being a bit like we're the best hospitality yes. city in the world you guys should be lucky just to be here you know um and hopefully we'll we'll lose that and just be be pretty grateful and um and glad to be back at work basically and glad yeah. to be with people again and, and kind of remember why we love doing what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I was, um, I was talking to my local cafe the other day and just asking them about, you know, how they're feeling about um, opening back up and, and especially with outdoor and stuff and they're just chomping at the bit, you know, yeah. even though they've been doing takeaway coffees this whole time and they're still having that interaction, like nothing's going to be having that interaction with the customer in your own venue and, um, and, and I think, it. and you know, nothing, nothing makes you appreciate the sort of romance of what we do night to night, uh, like, like having that taken away, because, you know, like a lot of people, Bomba, we've been doing Provador and things, so we're still technically doing the same thing, we're still technically providing people with food, you know, which at a, a fundamental level is what a restaurant does, but um, you know, when you're just packing it in boxes and sending it out, like, obviously, so grateful to, to that, um, to, for keeping us going, but that's not, really what we do like what we do is hold people and so um yeah i think definitely very keen to get back to that side of things yeah i think everyone will feel really grateful for that connection again so Mm -hmm. i'm excited for a couple weeks even if it is only you know eye to eye (laughs) (laughs) eyes and voice can do a lot of different a lot of good things so i'm positive um uh thanks so much for being on the show the last the last question i'm asking every guest at the moment um probably imperative more to Victorians than anyone else. Like what is, what is the one thing you're looking forward to the most post lockdown that you can't do now? Um, I think probably, uh, you know, get being in, being in nature, just not being in Melbourne for a minute. I mean, obviously we have the parks and things like that, which has made it bearable, but yeah, just to, to get out on a, on a proper hike and to look around and to, see nothing but nature for as far as the eye can see will be a really nice feeling <laughs> definitely getting as much as I'm a city girl and I need to always always live in the city I've, I do enjoy getting out of the city every now and again and it's been a long time. Um, Cara what's the what's the best way that people can find out about Bomber or find out about your fantastic YouTube channel? Um, yeah well uh, Bomber obviously has a website um, 
I want to say bombabar.com.au. I should probably have checked that. <laughs> um, but I'll link it up anyway. Yeah, yeah bombabar.com.au. Uh, and we'll be starting to take reservations again, uh, hopefully, you know, within the next couple of days for the reopen. Um, the YouTube channel is called Behind the Bar with Cara Divine, um, obviously on YouTube, but we're also on, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook and all of that. Uh, good stuff and yeah as you said um, new episodes every Tuesday we're hoping to get filming again as soon as we're allowed we actually haven't been allowed obviously during this lockdown so we're kind of meeting out some stuff that we did on the uh, on the in the in between when we were allowed to film Um, so looking forward to getting some some kind of more fresh content up there soon as well beautiful Cara Devon thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it no worries thank you